22 short stories about Doctor Who. 1. The Dinosaurs on a Spaceship Trailer. In a world where space travel exists. Be careful, my darling. I'm a spaceship, Captain Emily. It's my job to be careful. Uh, and also to fly spaceships. In a time when dinosaurs have been extinct for millennia. What was that shadow moving by the airlock? Probably a sheep or a meerkat or something harmless like that. It looked like a 200-foot lizard with razor-sharp fangs. <laughs> You're joking, ain't you? You've been spending too much time in space on this spaceship. On a journey beyond imagination. I've saved up all my money to go on this trip, but I'm still scared. Nonsense, lad. What have you got to be scared of? The only thing you're allergic to is dinosaurs, and they've been extinct for millions of years. Now one wacky crew of misfits are finding out that dinosaurs are not quite as extinct as they previously thought they probably were. What was that in the loading bay? I'm going for a swim. The water in the pool has been imported directly from Loch Ness. Look out! Triceratops! One thing's clear. We need to get these mother dinosaurs off this mother spaceship! I think the TARDIS translation circuits must be malfunctioning. I thought you just said mother I did. I did just say mother What's your point? Just not sure it's appropriate language. Look out! Ceratosaurus! Oh my This September, BBC One proudly presents Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. In space, no one can hear you be a dinosaur. Don't worry, we're quite safe here on this giant lizard skin carpet. <coughs> oh my Two, the Oodcast attempt to explain the Oodcast to Stormageddon. So some people don't know what the Oodcast is. What? That's unbelievable. Who do they think they are? I want names. I'll biff them on the nose. Good plan, Andy, but I think it might be easier if we just explained again. The alternative is making everyone listen to our first episode, and no one wants that. Oh, I love our first episode. I like how there aren't any jokes or songs in it. And how I was only in it because I bought in some biscuits and then wouldn't leave. <laughs> Good times, but seriously, we might have some new listeners. We should explain it all again, but in simple language that even a child would understand. But where can I get a child from? Don't look at me. <laughs> Don't worry, Loz. I've got it covered. I brought Stormageddon along so we had someone to talk to. <laughs> Thanks very much. I brush it every day. Okay. Well, I, I guess I should start by saying that the Oodcast is a podcast about Doctor Who. It grew out of a blog we wrote during season four of the new TV series. Yes, it is a strange name. I think we named ourselves after another podcast Chris Sigma was doing at the time. Yeah, called The Oddcast. But no one would listen to it because there was no real focus. It was just about me and my friends. So we thought we'd have another go, talk about Doctor Who and use that as a jumping off point to discuss life, the universe and everything. No, I wasn't involved in the blog, but when they started recording the podcast, they did it at my house, so they sort of had to let me be involved. Even though you didn't really like Doctor Who at the time, although you did think David Tennant was sexy. Mm-hmm. Oh, but now I love it as much as any of you. 
me? Good point. We haven't introduced ourselves. I'm Chris Foston, but we tend to call me Chris Alpha because there are two Chrises and we thought we'd name ourselves after Oods for a joke. Classic episode one humour. I like cricket, the fifth doctor, and being a dad to my brilliant son Luke, who occasionally comes on the podcast. He's basically the best thing in the show. We call him the littlest doctor. You're also great. Right, my name's Andrew Candish. I've been a fan for many years and I'm an actor in my spare time. I'm Chris Mead, or Sigma. I've also been a fan for most of my life. I love The Seventh Doctor, uh, but I really am a fan of all of them. And I'm Laura Mead, or Sigma. And I do the songs and I'm all feminine up in your grill. Anyway, we started off just talking, but pretty quickly started adding songs and sketches into the mix. We like to pick out background characters or lovingly exploit the programme's eccentricities and foibles to humorous effect. Exactly. I also started singing songs about Doctor Who, which gave us a strong identity within the Doctor Who podcast community. Which there are about a bajillion podcasts. And that's about it, I think. We try to be a really positive podcast. We want to capture the sheer joy and imagination of the show we love and honour it in our show as well. We hope you enjoy it, Stormageddon. Three. An interview with Nicholas Briggs. How do I do the Dalek voices? Well, I'd love to tell you that it was a natural talent, that I just worked and practised it for hours on end to perfect the tone and the intonation. But it just happened one day. I had no idea why or how. I just took one drag of a cigarette and I was off. Like this. And when I exhaled, my voice was like this. Nothing I can do. It stays like this for hours. Cuts my throat to ribbons, I can tell you. For the Olympic flame. A god, in defiance of the status quo, steals a gift of knowledge to save the human race. Prometheus tortured forever for his disobedience, condemned to solitary imprisonment tethered to a lonely rock at the edge of the universe. A being whose very name means forethinker, a lonely genius whose efforts to improve human existence could spiral so easily into tragedy. Sound like anyone we know? And if you did know all of that, did you know that the Olympic flame and the cauldron are both meant to symbolise the theft of fire, of knowledge, from the gods? Humanity's endeavour, our hope, our defiance. The torch relay, the flame blazing majestically in the hands of thousands of runners on its tour from Greece, was originally dreamt up for the 1936 Olympics in Berlin as a useful shorthand linking classical civilization with the Aryan ideal of the German Reich. But it has since become so much more than that, in a way, the opposite of these intentions. This summer, it travelled from hand to hand, race to race, gender to gender, able to differently able, young, old, athlete, couch potato, celebrity to local hero, linking and reminding us all of our equality, our shared humanity which sounds very cheesy. But as the golden mesh of the torch passed by the end of my road on a grey and humid day on the outskirts of London, 
bobbing along in the hands of a 60-year-old called Margaret, who'd spent her life volunteering. These ideals wrapped around my heart like warm candy floss. The clouds parted, and a ray of light intersected with the flame, and for one brief moment, the whole scene glittered. Danny Boyle couldn't have orchestrated it better. And on the day of the ceremony itself, as hundreds of Who fans all over Twitter and the net dared to hope that the Tenth Doctor might yet make an appearance to light the cauldron, we weren't disappointed. Our favourite spectacle-wearing Time Lord did not materialise. But Fear Her, for all its flaws, was about youth gaining the courage and certainty to springboard into flight. If the seven young athletes who stepped forward to light the final beacon didn't symbolise that, I don't know what did. So, as the 206 copper petals of the cauldron slowly rose together before blazing into the night, I watched without a trace of disappointment. Prometheus and that other lonely, wounded god would have been proud. Five. The Writer's Room. Typewriter tip 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 Right, come on, what have you got? Uh, a Twix. You want a bit? No, I mean sketch-wise. Oh, right, um, I've got nothing. Been looking for clips of cats falling off sofas to make Loz laugh. He managed it too, in fairness. But you've had three hours to come up with something. There are a lot of cat clips on the internet, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Fine. But I really want something to get my teeth into. I live for the chance to inhabit a character, to live a life I would never get the chance to otherwise, to be alive. Yeah. Well, what about Alf? He's been scribbling furiously away in that notebook for a while now. Maybe he's got something. Alf? Is he right? Have you got something? What? Um, well, yeah, I I guess so. Brilliant. What is it? Well, It's not really ready yet. Well, that doesn't matter. Just a flavour of the characters should be enough to set me off on the path to my performance. Maybe I could get a prop to help me really settle into it. Show us what you've got, Alf. Uh, okay. Here you go. What's that? It's a drawing of a cat. Got distracted by the clips they were watching. Sorry. Unbelievable. Amateurs. That's really good, Alf. She is. Six. Stephen Moffat tries to come up with ideas for season eight. Okay, everyone. I'm grumpy yet extremely witty. Thanks for coming to the meeting. What I want to do is brainstorm some ideas for series eight. Now, as you know, I came up with the idea for River Song after reading The Time Traveler's Wife. So, for starters, are there any other books we can give the Hooniverse treatment to? How about Fifty Shades of Gallifrey? How would that be any different from season one of Torchwood? No, and next? The Famous Five Doctors. No. The Girl with the Draconian Tattoo? No. How about its sequel, The Girl Who Kicked the Tomb of the Cybermen? I think we're going down a narrative cul-de-sac here. Let's change it up. 
Think about the movie of the week titles we did this season. Stuff like Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Daleks on a Surfboard. I don't think so. Zabi on a Night Bus. You are possibly taking this too literally. Yeti on a Seaplane? Cheetah People in a Full Mondeo. Rutans on a Segway. Alpha Centauri in an Ice Cream Van. Sycorax on a Tram. Quarks on an Escalator. The Merkur on a Horse? I love it! You do? Yes, it practically writes itself. Let's do it. Hooray! And then let's do the Bible in space. Double hooray! Seven. Andy regenerates. Hi, Alf. How's it hanging, big guy? Why are you talking like that? Like what? Like an idiot? I've just regenerated. I cut myself shaving and had to completely refigure my biology in an explosive burst of golden cosmic energy. You look exactly the same. It's a subtle difference. It's an undetectable difference. My nostrils are wider and I have a limp. You've still got the cut as well. Regeneration can be tricky. You haven't regenerated. You've just put on a hat. Take that back. Make me. Defend yourself. Oh, you got me. I've had to regenerate into a Scorchman. Aye. Please, stop this now. We're going to get complaints. I have to go get my neeps and tatties. Right, I'm leaving. I don't want to be associated with this sketch. Aye, but mind it, my foot's in the door. Now I'm a girl. Eight. It used to happen here. I love the evenings to come. The darker days of autumn and the harsher days of winter, where there is more to brave or solve. When days are more like walking through a wild wood than an open field. When days bring hiding places and chills for your spine. And it always used to happen here, where the nights stretch out and the leaves cover the paths. It happened in the twilight gloom between school and bedtimes. As shadows conquered our garden and thousands of unseens crept closer to our patio. It was always with my homework done and dinner bolted that I faced the doom in the gloom with him. But now it's all pre-shadow danger, with hiding places clear to all. Before the dark of the nightmares I braved or solved in my smallness, when it happened here. Nine. Chris Sigma's unified theory of time travel in Doctor Who. Right, I'm going to tell you about my theory of time travel. Haven't you already done that? Yes, but I'm going to be more succinct this time. Will it be any less boring? No. And is it useful in any way? Not really. This is going to be amazing. So there's this concept of Gallifrey in meantime, you see. I take this to mean that there is always a point that every Time Lord recognises as the present moment an event horizon progressing forwards at a rate of exactly one second per second. The moment, in fact, that we all live in. Like now? Yes. Uh, how about now? Yes, the present. And uh, now? Yes. Obviously, time laws don't have... Now? Yes. Obviously, time laws don't have to live strictly in that present moment, but it's important to have one so you know who the present president of Gallifrey is, or how many regenerations you've got up to, and which incarnation is the current one. Like in The Five Doctors, the first Doctor says something like, Goodness, there are five of me now! Which at first glance seems counterintuitive, because in all of time and space there should always be 13 Doctors, or however many it's been retconned to now, bouncing around creation, getting in each other's way, but there are only five, because at that point Gallifrey in meantime has only progressed to the fifth Doctor. 
all future incarnations are still just possibilities. Could have been, should have been doctors devoid of certainty. I know how they feel. Lovely. So it's my contention that time laws can only really travel forwards of this present moment. They can't go back and change what's already happened to them. Or rather, they could, but it might potentially end the universe so generally they don't bother. So how can the Doctor visit the 16th century then, or try and smash in a caveman's skull with a rock? Because Gallifrey is an ancient civilization, billions of years in Earth's past. Earth is just a possibility to a Time Lord. Therefore, he can change it as much as he wants. But here's where it gets interesting. Finally. The current incarnation of any given Time Lord carries around the present moment with them because they are living in it, even though they're also travelling in time and space. So, when something happens to them, even if it's in the far future, it becomes a fact, and that moment is solidified in time. If this line of reasoning is correct, the Doctor has pretty much single-handedly fixed the whole of Earth history in time by living through most of it. It's in Gallifrey's future, but... It's in the Doctor's past, and so therefore unchangeable. Which explains why he couldn't go back and try his adventures over and over until he got it right. It's why he doesn't save Adric. It's one of the reasons he doesn't save Adric. It also explains why he can't visit Gallifrey before its destruction, nor meet any other Time Lords despite them all being time travellers. They are in his past, and as such, completely unreachable. Of course, there are exceptions to these rules. Like multi-doctor stories. Exactly. But even then, we always get some dialogue about how utterly and totally super dangerous it is, and one doctor is always identified as the present incarnation. We only see past doctors, never future ones that don't exist yet. That's why Matt Smith doesn't turn up in The Three Doctors. Not because he wasn't born then. No. So there we are. Time travel. What do you think? I want those last three minutes back. Right, I'm going to tell you about my theory of time travel. Ah, my vocal cords! 10. 50 Shades of Scaro. New from OOD Productions comes a startling twist to a modern classic. You've been seduced before, but never like this. Run a bar, lie back, relax, and prepare to have your animal instincts awoken. Again and again and again as we bring you a best-selling sexual revolution. Open your mind to a whole new palette with not one, not two or even three, but 50 shades of grey. Read in his inimitable sensuous style by Dalek Khan. Kiss me, damn it! I employ him, but I can't move. I'm paralysed with a strange, unfamiliar need. Completely captivated by him. I'm staring at Christian Grey's mouth, mesmerised. And he's looking down at me, his gaze hooded, his eyes darkening. He's breathing harder than usual, and I've stopped breathing all together. I'm in your arms, kiss me please. He closes his eyes, takes a deep breath, and gives me a small shake of his head as if to answer my silent question. When he opens his eyes again, it's with some new purpose. 
a steely resolve. Anastasia, you should steer clear of me. I'm not the man for you, he whispers. 11. A new companion learns about time travel. Explain how time works. It's basically a straight line. Really? Well, a straight line with a few wobbly bits. What? And bends and twists, curves, knots and sort of swirly patterns. You've lost me. OK, I'd better try my more human comparison. Please do. You know trains? Enough, yes. Right, oh good. Here we go. Time is like a train track. How? Well, the track takes you from one place to another, right? But it can split off in any number of different ways. So we all start from the same point and go somewhere different? Yes. Great, got it then. And no, eh? we do all do that, yes. But we all do nothing of the sort at the same time. It's like we all get on different stations, but each one is where the train started. That's not possible. It is if we all have our own train and an infinite numbers of track. This isn't helping much, you know. Really? Seemed pretty good to me. Got anything else? Hold on a sec. Let me think. Oh, don't mind me then. What are these? Flumps. Want one? Mmm, that's lovely. That's it. What? Time is like a flump. How does that work? Well, a flump is all twisty and fluffy and squishy, and next time we're in flight, remind me to let you sniff the vortex outside. It's pretty, but not many know that it smells all marshmallowy. That's amazing. Is that true? Well, it's close enough. Can I have another one? Twelve. My childhood hero. One of my earliest memories is of a recurring nightmare. It was about a scary green man with tentacles. He would run into a hut that was in some sort of ravine. The hut would blow up and there'd be a massive fire and I would wake up terrified. They were awful nightmares and I never forgot them. Years later, imagine my surprise when watching the video release of The Seeds of Doom to find myself seeing my nightmare on telly. This means I've been watching Doctor Who since before I can remember doing so, which seems appropriate because it has fired my imagination inspired me to find wonder wherever I can, laid out some challenging ideas of moral and political behaviour, given me a desire to understand our amazing and complex universe, and aimed to enjoy and revel in life. It was Horror of Fang Rock's Reuben to Rutan transformation that really kicks things off for me. In this universe, a green blob could turn into a man. That means the green blob could have a massive advantage over us humans. Ooh, scary! compelling. Then they topped that in the invisible enemy by sending our hero into his own brain. Whoa! The macro and micro worlds interacting. I recall my wonderment at the doctor telling Leela that they were stood at the mind-brain interface, heading off into the land of dreams and fantasy. I felt my world shift around me as I tried to take it in. A micro lesson in psychology also summing up the premise of Doctor Who. Then, Nightmare of Eden, positing the idea of technology that can scoop up parts of planets, store them on software and project them, every leaf, blade of grass and monster, into a room. 
Now I reckon one day that's going to be possible through virtual reality and 3D printers, but the thing was that just then I was getting interested in theatre. And here on my telly was that experience from a different angle. You could be in one world and have another one right in front of you. And Tom Baker's arms, legs, everything routine showed how telly could switch from drug smuggling to panto and back in an instant. I didn't think that was odd, I just thought it was hilarious and clever. Then came full circles what if of day-long macroevolution. Here is Tom Baker at his best, turning up before the daft deciders with a delightful I'm the doctor. It's Tom Baker's outrage at the vivisection of the mass child that set off my desire to understand ethics and ideas about evolution and society. It was always Tom Baker rather than the doctor for me. I keenly got it that he was playing this role and that inspired the actor in me. How wonderful to explore ideas, to reason, to consider thrilling universal questions with such exuberance and have that as your day job. How thrilling also to have a hero who never carries weapons, because if people see you mean them no harm, they never hurt you. Nine times out of ten. A hero that bounds into any situation with a grin that sent television engineers scrambling to deliver widescreen. Who scorns the self-serving and does away with the bad through inspired thinking, the galvanising of those around him, and just sort of hoping. Yeah, he was my childhood hero. And the Doctor and Doctor Who remain for me the best thing ever on telly. Thirteen. Death by Eric. And now for the first time, we bridge the gap between two worlds as we go live to the surface of the moon. These pictures come to you now from Apollo 11. That's one small step for man. One History has been made, ladies and gentlemen. Neil Armstrong is the first man to set foot on the surface of the moon. Well, wasn't that wonderful, Jimmy? Now, it's well past your bedtime, well past all our bedtimes. That must be why I feel a little bit queasy. I'll go and make you some hot cocoa and then it's off up the wooden hill for you, do you hear? Yes, Mummy. Holy f***! How about you? Get off! Get off me, you little tyke! I'm killing you on sight! You're being very annoying. Die! Seriously, would you stop? You're interfering with my aura of foreboding doom. You smell. Now that's just hurtful. Baldy, baldy. I'm a different species. We don't have hair. This is ridiculous. I'm afraid I'm going to have to kill you now. <coughs> what? What's happening? <coughs> is that polyester stuffing? It's Eric. He's my bunny. He's a weapon of bloodthirsty vengeance. I'm allergic to polyethene terephthalate. Curse you. Hooray. Jimmy, what's all the shouting for? And why are there scorch marks on the carpet? There was an alien. Now don't be silly. I hit it with my bunny. Jimmy. I hit it him in his special place. Jimmy, stop that at once. Right, you are clearly overexcited. It's straight to bed for you. Aliens and moon landings. Obviously far too much stimulation for one evening. 
14. A Time Lord in Love It's hard being a Time Lord in love. Hard to appreciate a first date for fear that your excuse for being late will fall on deaf ears. Though you rebooted time, she won't remember because your date was for May and now it's September 2038. Which isn't great, you're forced to agree when your current squeeze is now 63. And it's hard to explain, for so many reasons, why you remain untouched by the passing of seasons. And it's she that withers and wrinkles and fades, for this is your tragedy. No matter who you save, you will end up alone, floating in the vortex far from a blasted home. It's hard being a Time Lord in love. You change your face and face the derision that your two-faced love won't survive that transition. Face to face with the girl you adore, seen with new eyes, you love her no more. Three hearts that beat as one. And for her part, she's acutely aware that another man is standing there in her lover's shoes. She turns to run. And isn't it always the way? Isn't it always what they choose? It's hard being a Time Lord in love all of time and space, every planet that ever was or is. Who do you love now? 15. The inevitability of the Doctor becoming involved in folk music. Hi, I'm Laura Sigma from the internet and welcome to my occasional series of lectures on the mysterious time traveller, the Doctor's influence on folk music. As many of you will know, the stories contained in the lyrics of much folk music are not only extremely tragic, but also based on true stories from the time they were written. It seems the Doctor takes great delight on hearing these songs in going back in time and saving the day, possibly so he can be the hero of the song instead. Many examples of this survive to the present day. For example, the old Yorkshire sea shanty, I Courted a Sailor, from the late 16th century, Presumably in its original form, the song was about a young lady who lost her true love at sea. Now the song plays out quite differently. I courted a sailor for six months and many. I courted a sailor, now he is far from me. I courted a sailor for six months and many. Oh, I courted a sailor, now he is far from me. On a fine summer's evening, he said his heart was grieving. On a fine summer's evening, these words he said to me. Oh, I'm bound for the waves, the waves, dearest Danny. Six months and many My sailor's been gone now And will always remain Till a man in a blue box Turns up with my sailor Safe now from drowning I'll hold him again And then it just stops Other examples abound With traditional songs from places As geographically diverse as Cornwall And Lancashire All featuring the same mysterious saviour his appearance varies from song to song, but his methods are instantly recognisable. Take this tune from Devon.
Sir Eglamour was a valiant knight. Fala lanky down dilly. He took up his sword and he went to fight. Fala lanky down dilly. As he rode o'er hill and dale, all armoured in a coat of mail. Fala lanky down dilly. Out came a dragon from her den, fall a lanky down dilly, that killed God knows how many men. Fall a lanky down dilly, then a lad all clothed in tweed did foil the beast with astounding speed. Fall a lanky down dilly. This seems like an extremely short song, almost as if in the original the fight went on for many more verses before it was resolved. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Join me next week for more exciting adventures in the world of folk music and time travel. This is Laura Sigma saying goodbye and hey, try not to catch consumption. It never ends well for anybody. Toodaloo! Sixteen. Fear her. A re-evaluation. Here's one I like. Fear her. The one with the girl possessed by the Isolus who got lost and just wants some friends and can make reality out of drawings, including a great big doodly scribble that comes to life. A monster that can be rubbed out. Pictures that come to life. All of humanity nearly trapped in a drawing. This is perfect Doctor Who. A simple story of the need for companionship and love, of fear and yearning told through fantasy and wondrous imagination and the extraordinary in an ordinary street. A joke about the TARDIS that have been waiting decades to be told. The Doctor being all alien with a jar of marmalade. Some genuinely creepy moments and an uplifting message. Yeah, that's all great Doctor Who. 17. Uncontrolled Regeneration Syndrome Every year, one in 250 Time Lords are diagnosed with Uncontrollable Regeneration Syndrome, or ERS for short. These brave individuals have to suffer the humiliation of constantly regenerating into a new body and personality without warning. Sometimes these incarnations will last for years, sometimes for days or even seconds. Imagine that hardship of never having clothes that fit, of never knowing what your opinion is on something from one day to the next. Even simple things like having a photo ID or a hat that looks good with your face shape becomes a nightmare. Please, a regular donation of just £5 a month will pay for a rudimentary cardboard mask of Tom Baker to allow those that suffer from ERS to have a consistent sense of identity. £10 a month will pay for a special all-in-one lycra body stocking to accommodate any size or shape. Your money could change someone's life. And remember, to ERS is Time Lord, to forgive divine. Eighteen. One scene makes a summer. It was a sweltering weekday afternoon. Stephen and I were crouched in his back garden, as far under the huge broadleaf deep green bushes that surrounded the grass on three sides as we could manage, and we were terrified. Not actually terrified, we were in full flow, buried deep in our imaginations, reenacting one of our favourite moments of Doctor Who. 
and we were sticklers for detail, at least the detail that actually mattered to us. Costumes didn't matter, they generally just got in the way. I'd tried making a Cyberman costume by then, and after the chance discovery that I could fit two toilet rolls onto my forearm. The scratches which followed an attempt to put them back on again after I'd covered them in tin foil, and the realisation that it wasn't as easy to feel things or pick things up when your hand goes purple, meant that I'd given up soon afterwards. But for our current scene, we didn't need a Cyberman. They were lurking within, and we'd been chased around the surrounding streets by them all morning. Now came our moment of reckoning, and all we needed was an umbrella borrowed from his dad, and a rucksack. The Seventh Doctor was on the screen in those days, and he was travelling with Ace. We were both boys. This would usually mean we'd face a problem, but Stephen was determined to be Ace. I wasn't going to argue. I liked the Doctor. He was quirky, funny, and just the sort of chap I thought everyone should be. And anyway, I thought Stephen was a damn good Ace. He could even say wicked in just the right tone of voice. So there we were crammed under a bush, uttering bits of dialogue, me perfecting the stony grimace Sylv would do whenever he had to contemplate destroying something, both of us getting rhododendron leaves and petals stuck to our knees. Once we were sure the cyber leader, his mum, wasn't watching us from the kitchen window, I put on the grimace and gestured to the handily open doors of the cyber spaceship across the lawn, the open patio doors. I don't suppose you've completely ignored my instructions and secretly prepared any Nitro 9, have you? What if I had? Naturally, you wouldn't do anything so insanely dangerous as to carry it around with you, would you? Of course not. I'm a good, um, girl, and I do what I'm told. And now I deepened the grimace almost into a smile, and my voice suddenly sounded in my head, probably alone, vengeful. Excellent. Blow up that vehicle. Then Stephen erupted in an avalanche of activity, readying the explosives and cramming them into his rucksack. Then, all in one wondrously graceful movement, he dashed across the lawn, flung the bag in through the doors and chased back, diving into the bushes where I was still waiting. We began a threadbare little whistled version of the incidental music, building to the bit where we both covered our ears, pushed our heads down and both emitted a brilliant... A moment later, we uncovered our ears. Stephen looked up with a trademark ace, wicked, and we sighed with joy. We'd been reenacting this scene at least twice a week through the summer holidays, and never had he got the bag so cleanly through the doors and reached back quickly enough to escape detection. But then we heard footsteps on the small patio by the doors, and the rustling of feet on the grass. And before we got far enough under the bush again, Stephen's mum was there. I told you, no throwing things into Grandad's room. There's soup everywhere now. Chris, I think it's time we went home. I kept the umbrella. I'm not sure they missed it. 19. The Writer's Room 2. Typewriter, tip, 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 So, sketches. What about them? Well, we need more of them. Okay, um, any ideas? Not a one. You? No, not me. Don't panic though, let's brainstorm or whatever it's polite to call it these days. Cerebral harvesting. Well that sounds like a dodgy backstreet operation. Mind melding. Are you just thinking about Star Wars now? Can't help it, it's my brain's resting thought pattern. Anyway, we're getting distracted. Uh, 
where's that Oudcast focus gone? Ah, you mean our ability to focus on shiny things and David Tennant's bum. Yeah. Here's, a, here's an idea. Why don't we write storylines that would be too daft even for the Who production team? Oh, you mean like having the Doctor visiting a hospital staffed entirely by cats? Yes. Perfect. We could call it Feline Peaky. Excellent. How will we start that off? Oh, no, too late. They did it in 2006. Damn. Okay, we could do one where the Daleks disguise a universe-ending bomb as a scientist and it can only be diffused by love. You know that's in The Victory of the Daleks, right? Of course I did. It's just ridiculous. Right. What about a society that bans happiness but has an executioner who's made entirely from sweets? The Doctor could defeat him by melting his feet to the floor, maybe. That's the happiness patrol. Ah, so it is. Um, giant crabs who run a holiday camp. The Macro Terror. 80s TV funnyman Hale and Pace running a convenience store. Survival. Blue Peter presenters as companions. Peter Purvis, 1964 to 1966. Well, I think I'm all out then. Um, what about you? How about the Doctor has to take on a giant maggot that's obsessed with money and runs a number of dodgy businesses and takes a weird fancy to the Doctor's companion? What possible threat could that pose? I hardly think that's the point. Hello Internet, this is Chris Sigma. Uh, It's sometime later and I'm just editing this sketch. Just want to say that we are aware that my melding is Star Trek, not Star Wars. Okay, uh, enjoy the rest of the show. 20. Reaction of a new companion to witnessing a dimensionally transcendental singularity fixed into a quantized oscillation state allowing non-linear angular frequency transference to different chronology vectors harnessed by approbating the near-limitless energies of an infinite dark matter square well. It's bigger on the inside! 21. Walking with my hands behind my back. I have a nephew now. It's a strange experience being around someone so small, so new and yet so familiar. Little things he does remind me immediately of my sister when we were children. Sometimes it's like he's toddled directly out of my past. A little her. A little me. He runs with his arms flung back, as if the possibility of falling hasn't ever crossed his mind. I used to walk with my hands clasped behind my back, wedged in under my blazer, like Peter Davison. I remember making the decision. This was now the way I walked. Suddenly, one Monday morning, as if they'd all discussed it together over the weekend, all the boys in my year had started playing football at playtime. Every playtime, all those games of pirates and ninjas, robots, spacemen, and once I distinctly remember, bakers, ceased immediately. I thought it was a phase, I thought it would pass, like the time we played Biker Grove for three weeks straight. But this wasn't a fad, it was a paradigm shift. The time for playing games was over. This was football. This was war. And just like that, I ceased to be important. I had flat feet. It didn't matter how good my impression of Howling Mad Murdoch was, so I started skirting round the edge of the playing fields, hands thrust behind my back. The Doctor. My hero. Patron saint of the geek and the dreamer. The outsider and the wanderer. 
I put my hands behind my back and I smiled and I strode around the school like I owned the place. Everything was changing around me. I didn't understand, but I hung on to my totem. I pretended I was in control until I was. I smiled at would-be bullies, raised my eyebrows in greeting and strolled on. The doctor was my protector, not just on the TV where he saved whole worlds, but right there, in real life in a little seaside town on the Thames estuary. He was the right kind of role model at exactly the right time. Not a big deal, I guess, but a reminder. Our arms thrown back, running headlong into adventure, never thinking we might fall. Twenty-two, The Cobbler's Daughter. One, two, three, four. I am a cobbler's daughter, I'm thought of rude and mean, but a finer and a bonnier lass you never will have seen. I plague my father's head, for my life I wouldn't wed, my mother's hair is greying cos of me. There was a handsome young man who used to live near me If I went out, if I went in, he'd always follow me I'll never rue the day, it happened as I say I led him through my chamber room to see I led him to my chamber so we could be alone Then he tore the flesh from off his face, revealing glowing bone He kissed me on the cheek, I screamed till I was weak A stranger came a-running to the door He's jumped upon the young man as I was standing by Who is rolled across my chamber floor and got thumped in the eye Then my mother heard the din, up the stairs she did begin With a mop for a weapon she held high Out ran the villain to the stairs straightway But my mother she was waiting like a raging bull I'd say She'd have hit him on the head But the stranger yelled and said That violence begets violence And that everyone should stop and think about what they're doing Before things got completely out of hand That his name was the doctor And he'd be happy to return the glowing gentleman to Kelsar on the third Which was obviously his home system Judging by the phosphorescent properties of his endoskeletal structure Well, that's just ridiculous. It doesn't even scan at all. It's rubbish. That was 22 short stories about Doctor Who by the Oodcast. Written by the Oodcast. Featuring Andrew Candish, Chris Alpha, Chris Sigma, Laura Sigma, Adrian Simpson, Nicola Simpson, Amy Simpson, Luke Simpson, Sophie Waterman-Smith, Jim Atkins, and Stephen Shabansky. Ha, 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 ha.